Oh, good morning. Are you guys doing all right? Yeah, nice. Well, Happy New Year. How, oh, man, you guys are so kind. Um, it's, uh, man, it's 2019, and, and I'm so happy about that, not just because it's the new year, but because, like, things kind of go back to normal, and so uh, there's always this, like, really weird, funky time uh, the day after Christmas, like, nobody really knows what day it is, what time it is, what do you do with your hands, like, what kind of happens after Christmas. Some people kind of go back to work, but nobody's really at work, because some people put in some sick days, some people are off. It's just a really weird, funky time, and, uh, and, and, and as, as good as it can be because of friends and family and celebration, uh, at least for me, most of the time, it's just... Let's get to the new year, let's get to the new year, let's get to the new year, because that means we get to get back on some sort of a schedule. I hate being in this warp quantum realm, and, uh, and that could just be me. Some of you may just be like, man, I loved it. I had 10 days off, so I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, particularly if you're a teacher, right? You're just like, man, sheets, sleep, 10 hours, whatever. It was, it was great. I drank every coffee I could think of and did whatever. Um, so anyway, with that being said, I'm very thankful for us to kind of be back into a, a normal rhythm. And so if you, if you will, uh, go ahead, I'll ramble a little bit, not like I just did, but I'll ramble a little bit more. If you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is a, this is a famous verse. This is a well-quoted uh, verse. This is one that we look at uh, a lot, but, uh, but anyway, you go ahead and turn there. If you're new, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, man, we'd love to hang out with you afterward. And so fill out a Connect card, leave it in the offering basket before you leave or drop it in the Connect desk. Uh, in addition to that, if you don't have a Bible, uh, whether it's on your phone or actually a hard copy, we, we like hard copies. And so we have those available to you. That is our gift for you. Um, with all that being said, at the start of the year, it's, it's really... Um, it's kind of an interesting time for churches uh, because it's usually the first Sunday of, of the year that churches will begin, or pastors and preachers will begin to talk about, uh, man, this is, this is what the vision is. This is, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to like, uh, man, plow the streets of our city and seek restoration and, and a lot of really, really good things. And I think that's really helpful. And I think all of that is, is actually wonderful. And uh, yeah, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily going to talk about that today. Uh, however, there is going to be some of that. Um, the reason I want us to look at Matthew 28 is, is because, uh, man, I want us to be very clear about what the mission of the church is. Oftentimes, when we begin with the question of, man, what is the mission of the church? Sometimes that question can be very skewed. But uh, before it being skewed, I want you to know, or in light of the possibility of it being skewed, is that I want you to know that it is actually a very weighted question. It's a loaded question. What is the mission of the church? It's, uh, it's, it's to put it differently, what, is, uh, what has the church been sent to accomplish? See, a couple of reasons as to why this is such a loaded question. It's, it's a loaded question because of its importance, right? It's a loaded question because of its importance. In, in other words, we, we need clarity. 
We need to know what the mission is. And so when we know what the mission is, we have clarity. If we have clarity, we're able to know what success looks like. We're able to have metrics and we're able to judge faithfulness. So we need clarity. It's a loaded question because it's a sensitive question. It's a sensitive question because there are so many things the church should be doing and there are so many things that the church ought to be doing that the mission oftentimes becomes everything. If I were to ask you, what is the mission of the church or what do you believe the mission of the church is? Uh, Sometimes, and, and, and in often cases, we might get a variety of answers. We might get everything from, man, well, the mission is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, someone might say, well, the mission is actually to, to feed and to clothe uh, the poor. Some might say, man, to, to love God, to obey God. Others would say, man, to thrust ourselves into the mess of our community and into the lives of other people. And so it's a sensitive topic because everybody's going to have their own personal, um, their own personal answer, their own, their own emotion that attaches to that. It's a, it's a loaded question because it's actually kind of a controversial one. It's a controversial uh, question because the answer and the message is unpopular. It's narrow. And uh, it's simple, but it's not easy. And so when asked, what is the mission of the church, or what is it that the church has been sent to accomplish, it's actually much more weighted and much more loaded than, than we think because of those three things, because of its importance, because of its sensitivity, and because of its controversy. And so if we're going to seek to answer this question, we need to come up uh, or we need to go to a couple of things. The first thing that we need to describe or talk about is, well, what technically is mission? We need, to, we need to define what mission is. And then once we define what mission is, we need to be distinct in our answer in terms of, well, what is the difference between the local church and a nonprofit organization? Right? Now, some of you may be like, listen, or... I hope you're listening. Maybe you've even already read Matthew 28 and you're thinking through like, okay, I've never thought of this as much. That's right. That's, that's why I, I get to think about this stuff, right? I get to, I got to kind of think about this and I get to be nerdy sometimes on it. But nevertheless, we need to talk about well, what mission is and then what makes us distinct from a nonprofit organization. Why is, why is the mission so important? Why can't we just talk about making disciples? That's the mission, right? That's, I mean, if you read Matthew 28, it's right there. You don't, you don't need, I don't need to hold you into, in suspense, right? Just read Matthew 28, right? Last night I was watching, um, have any of you ever seen the show uh, Jack, Jack Ryan? Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan? It's pretty cool. I've seen like one episode. And uh, uh, there's, there's this one scene, I hope I'm not, I'm, I'm not spoiling it for anybody, but I, I don't think it's that important, nor is watching TV. But, um, so in this one scene, um, uh, Jack and his partner, his name is Greer, uh, they are working with this dude who's kind of a bad guy in Turkey, but he's kind of like suspending his illegal activity and, and helping them out, whatever. And, uh, and, and, and Jack Ryan can't uh, can't get over the fact that it's a bad guy helping them out, right? 
And so the bad guy says something really foolish, and the emotion of Jack Ryan gets to him. And so he like tackles this dude, and he starts like punching him, and his partner Greer grabs him, throws him off of him, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I can't believe we're working with this guy. And then Greer says something that kind of snaps Jack back into reality. He says, what is the mission? Remember what the mission is. Remember why we were sent. And that snaps Jack back into reality. It doesn't mean he likes it, but it snaps him back into reality. It gives him perspective. And he understands, man, this is, this is not my fight. I got I to gotta go do whatever it is we've been sent to do. I hope I didn't spoil anything, because that was the most general description of a fight scene ever, right? But nevertheless, that's, that's what he pushes. He says, man, remember the mission. And so we need to define all of these things, because sometimes our emotion, our desire is going to get carried away, and we're going to think, man, mission is everything. We ought to do everything. We're the church. We should be involved in every single facet of our community, and we should be involved in every single need that the church internally and our people in our city have. And so ultimately, where we're going to be getting to today is, man, remember what the mission is. So let's define the word mission. The word mission actually comes from the Latin word mitere, and what that means, it implies two things. It implies being sent, and number two, it implies being given a task. Now, there's something specific about that part, that last part. That means that if you are given a task, it means that you have been sent to do something, but not everything. You have been sent to do something, but not everything. So that's, that's the mission. So that means we're going to get real specific in light of what Jesus is going to be talking about in Matthew 28, that the church has been sent on a mission and it is specific and it is to do something, but it is not to do everything. Further, the second part of, of, uh, of that question was, okay, so if we have a mission, if we're going to understand that mission, then what separates the local church from a nonprofit organization? And that's something that also needs clarity because if we read mission statements that uh, companies and nonprofits put out, it can sound very church-like and there would be necessarily no distinction. And so I was asking a couple of the guys the other day or yesterday, I asked my brother, I said, give me a professional athlete because I don't know anybody. And, uh, and he said, J.J. Wyatt or Watt, whatever his name is. I don't, he plays for a team. And uh, I, who is he? Who, what? He's a football player. That sounds like a football player. All right. So is that his name? J.J. Watt? Or, okay. All right. Here we go. J.J. Watt, guys. He has a foundation. The mission of the J.J. Watt Foundation is, quote, to lay a solid foundation of characteristics on which they, that is kids, may build the rest of their life. So they use sports in order to mentor kids. The church would call that discipleship, right? The American Red Cross, their mission is, quote, uh, to present and alleviate human suffering in the face of emergencies by mobilizing the power of volunteers. So they mobilize volunteers for the sake of going into uh, natural disasters or huge emergencies to relieve suffering. Sounds kind of missional, right? The Stan Lee Foundation. 
otherwise known as the godfather of comics, Marvel Comics. Stan Lee Foundation, their mission is to promote diversity, national literacy, culture, and the arts in an environment for self-improvement and for self-sufficiency. So they provide education, and they provide opportunities uh, for kids to grow up and get to learn about the culture and the arts and maybe make their own comics one day, right? Those are all good things. Those are all really, really good things. And even if we were to tweak some of the words, that would be some church's missional statements. That would be what they would say. A mission is important, or a mission statement, or the clarity of mission is important because it establishes clarity and responsibility. And at the heart of the mission of the church is Christ. That's the distinction. At the heart of our mission is Christ, and our task is to make disciples. Now, you read that very clearly in Matthew 28. We're going to go toward Matthew 28 in just a moment. You read that clearly, and you think, right, yeah, the mission is to make disciples, totally. Well, we still need to get even more clear. And so here's what it doesn't mean. Here's what making disciples doesn't mean. The, one, the first thing is, it doesn't mean that we ignore suffering, and it doesn't mean that we ignore injustice. It doesn't mean evangelism only. We ignore everything else and evangelism only. No, Nathaniel preached on this last week and he did a phenomenal job and he talked about evangelism and good works. It doesn't mean restoration and renewal only, that we're only sent in to do projects. And oftentimes, that's what a lot of people think the mission of the church is. To build homes, to build buildings, to repair Street evangelism, social injustice, suffering. we got to do all of those things. And the truth is, a lot, if not all of those things, are musts. Those are important. Those are things that the church is involved in. And that is still not necessarily the mission. Which means that we can get tangled up in a lot of things. We can do a lot of really, really, really good things and not accomplish our mission. And the mission is to make disciples. So here's what it does mean to make disciples. First thing is that it means that the gospel is of first importance. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. This is what Paul says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Here's what Paul says. He says, what is of first importance, what is the most important thing, is the gospel. You see, when we talk about making disciples and when we talk about the mission of the church, oftentimes we talk so much about doing good. And if you believe in Jesus, now you can do good. And all these other things that may not necessarily be about the person and work of Jesus. And so Paul comes in hard in 1 Corinthians 15 to remind the Corinthians, just as much as God through Paul reminds you and I, that the thing that is of most importance is the gospel. 
that Christ died for sinners, that he stepped into human history, lived in our place, died our death, and now gives the grace that you and I cannot earn and paid for our sins. He satisfied the wrath of God on the cross on your behalf. That is the message of the gospel. In verses 3 through 5, in two verses, Paul lays it out. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul goes again to say that Christ came for sinners, to save sinners. That is a condensed version of the gospel, but yet that is the most significant, and that is what is important. Oftentimes, too many Christians will not talk about the person and work of Jesus. They will not talk about what Christ came to do. Instead, Christians cower and say, Christ came so that you could do good things. The J.J. Watt Foundation does good things. The American Red Cross does good things. There are so many celebrities that have nonprofit organizations and other companies, and they do good things, and they don't know Jesus. And oftentimes the church is constantly behind the ball because we sacrifice, just do good for the fact that Christ came to save sinners. And so when we make disciples, we are proclaiming that message. We are proclaiming that message. And so what does it mean to make disciples? It means that the gospel is of first importance. The second thing in terms of what it means to make disciples is that we as the church are free from guilt and also given some liberty. That we're free from guilt in the sense that, man, we have a specific mission. And so we know we're not going to do everything. We can't do everything. There's no way we can do everything. So we don't need to be guilty about, not, about feeling like we have to do everything. But at the same time, it provides us with liberty because then it forces us to think through, okay, in light of making disciples, what's that going to look like for our local body in our context? That gives us some freedom. And then finally, what it means to make disciples is that you, the individual, have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. That you are called to make disciples. That the church collectively, the mission of the church collectively is to make disciples. That your mission as the individual is to make disciples. Whether you like that or not, that is your responsibility, to make disciples. And so let's look to Matthew 28 now. Let's look to Matthew 28 and break it down Because Jesus is very clear about what the mission is, but then he gets even more specific with what it looks like. Let's go to Matthew 28. This is uh, verses 18 through 20. Here's what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want us to briefly look at six things, six quick things in those two verses. The first one is, in light of making disciples, the first one is, the authority of Jesus. 
I want you to look at the authority of Jesus because when Jesus comes out and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what he is saying is that at the heart of salvation lays him. At the heart of salvation is Christ. At the center of reconciliation between God and man is Christ. We just finished a series called Glory, the Person and Work of Jesus, and a lot of the content led to that, that that Christ's main mission on earth was to reconcile man to God. At the heart of salvation is Christ, and at the center of reconciliation between man and God is Jesus. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul says that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. In Hebrews 4, the author reminds us that the Christian has access to the Father because of the work of the Son. Jesus sets the tone that no one can come to know God but through Him. He sets the tone when he talks about his authority. And then he goes on to tell the disciples, go and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That word go, when translated into the original language, it actually means as you are going. So that means uh, if you're a teacher, as, as you are teaching, as you're with your students, if you're a business owner, as you're with uh, your employees. If you're a parent, as you're with your kids. If you're married, as you're with your spouse. Whatever it is, as you are going. And I think many times we get caught up just in the word go because it means like we'll hyper-spiritualize and be like, well, God hasn't told me to go anywhere. I, I don't know. I don't feel the Holy Spirit telling me. To go. No, he's, he's telling you very clearly right here, this is a command, and it is in the present tense. He is saying, as you are going. So it gives none of us an excuse to bow out. As you are going, make disciples. In addition to that, as he tells them to make disciples, he's giving them a responsibility. Through Matthew, he is giving us a responsibility. He's saying, as you make disciples, everything that you have seen, everything that you have heard, everything that I have done, everything that I have accomplished, it's not so that you would keep to yourself. It's so that you would go and tell the story. It's so that you would go and make disciples and tell people about who I am and what I've done. Make no mistake, your faith is not private. It's personal, but it is not private. That's the bottom line. And so he's giving us responsibility to make disciples. My wife's not here today, so I could, I could, uh, I could blow her up a little bit. I don't know if she'll listen to this online. And... Uh, <laughs> So when we're talking about go, making disciples and talking about as you are going, I think my wife is always one who, who always pushes me on, be more practical. Like, what does that mean? And I can't think of a better example than, than her when it comes to as you are going. So the other day, my wife's, uh, uh, she co-owns a salon and, uh, um, so she co-owns a salon and so she, she works uh, a couple of evenings. She worked yesterday and uh, she came home, and she just had a heavy heart. And she had a heavy heart, 
and, uh, and I asked her how her day went and, and how things were going. And she talked about this one woman who was in her chair, who got her hair done, and, uh, and, and she's been doing her hair for about the past six, seven years, something like that. And, uh, and the woman was ultimately sharing with Rebecca about how she had been recent, recently excuse me, diagnosed with cancer. And uh, so Rebecca's kind of just working and talking through her, talking with her through a bunch of things. And, uh, and so I asked, well, you know, how, how'd that go? And she said it went well. Uh, she goes, I actually finished my day two hours ago. I just stayed with her. And she's just saying this, like, as a matter of fact. She's not saying it to, like, check it out. She's just telling me about her day. And as she talked, I listened. But afterwards, as we, as we had some dinner, I just started thinking through um, There's no other better example that I had in that moment of discipleship than what Rebecca does on a daily basis with people in her chair. And she jokes about it often. She jokes about it because she'll say, man, once you're in my chair, I have you for 45 minutes to two hours. So we're going to talk regardless. And, uh, And that's very true. But on top of that, a lot of her clients have been with her for several years. And though many of her clients may not necessarily agree with her beliefs, um, that hasn't held her back from from sharing her beliefs and talking to them explicitly about about Jesus. And yet these people still continue to come to them. And I may never know them, you may never know them, whatever. But but, uh, the, the idea here is that she is just faithful when it comes to as you are going and making disciples. She uses her chair as an opportunity to make disciples, whether it's for 45 minutes over the course of six years or a walk-in who comes in and just wants some information and gets to sit down and talk with her. That's a really, really good example of what it means to make disciples as you are going. And she came home with such a heavy heart. And the truth is, sometimes you are going to have a heavy heart. You may not have the answers. You may not necessarily know what to do next. But that should not keep us from making disciples. Now, some of you may not necessarily have that same opportunity or, or advantage where you have someone sit with you for 45 minutes or two hours and they're just constantly building conversation. You may not necessarily, I should say it this way, you may not necessarily have that same access, but you do have some of the same opportunities, even if it's for a shorter amount of times. Teachers, you, you have students for years, or at the very least, you know those students as they grow up and begin to mature. Right? Same thing with employees. Right? You get to see them mature and you get to see them grow and you get to see them in a variety of life stages. Kids are the same way. Uh, this, this week, I, uh, I got to take my son, uh, Seth, to, to Austin. So once a year, we just postponed it until, until this week, but once a year, he and I take a trip, uh, just him and I, to whatever well, the, the idea is whatever city he wants in Texas. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so this year he was like, man, I want to go to Austin. We normally reserve it for the summer, but we didn't go in this past summer because it was really hot. So we just waited. And, uh, and so I was, uh, we went to the comic book store and, and we're, we're hanging out and he's like checking out some comics and stuff like that. And there's this big Hulk in, uh, in the comic book store. And so I asked him, hey, hey I'm going to take a picture of you here, right? Like being total dad, but I had a purpose. So, so I take a picture of him, and uh, we, we get back to the Airbnb, go to sleep, whatever, and I'm uh, scrolling through Google Photos, and I had taken him there three and a half years ago when he had just turned 10. And uh, I see the pictures, and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, so the Hulk is, he's like eight feet tall. He's a really, I mean, he's a massive Hulk. And, um, 
And so when Seth took the picture the first time, I think he was at like the Hulk's hip or something like that. Now he's like up to his chest. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and, uh, but I say that as an example in terms of like, you walk with them through a variety of life stages. Like if you're not discipling your kids because you don't think that's formal, that's not really discipleship, then you're in sin and you're missing it. The mission is to make disciples as you are going. So whoever's in your midst, go make disciples. He didn't say go make converts. He said go and make disciples. So there's going to be challenges. There's going to be hardship. There is going to be nervous talk. Stop making it nervous and have a conversation. Right? Make disciples. Let's keep going. Right? So that's the responsibility that Jesus gives to the disciples. But then he goes on to say, I think this is uh, is still in verse 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we see two things. So this is what, four? This is three and four. We see one, baptism. Baptism is a public uh, profession of the internal work of God. Because when it comes to God saving someone, we see the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that the Father is pursuing. We see that the Son saves. And we see that the Holy Spirit seals. It is a beautiful picture of the work of the Holy Trinity. He continues. I think this is verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In short, that's practical obedience. There are an array of verses in the Gospels where Jesus constantly says, those who are my disciples are those who actually do the will of God. Those who are my brothers and my sisters are those who do the will of God. He's talking about practical obedience, that a a disciple of Jesus is someone who not only worships him, someone who has not only been transformed by him, but it is someone who obeys him. It is someone who obeys the words of Christ. So when he says, go and make disciples, and we're actively not making disciples, we are actively in sin when it comes to this command. He's talking about practical obedience. And then finally, uh, the last thing he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the promise that God is always with you. That, man, particularly if you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he counsels you, he guides you, he convicts you. That God dwells within you. That is a promise that he gives. So when we look at the Great Commission, when we look at the mission of making disciples, there's a much bigger world to it than just, oh yeah, that's one of the last things Jesus said. That is the mission of the church. That is what we have been sent to accomplish, to make disciples. It doesn't mean that other things aren't important. It doesn't mean that we don't have our hand in in other areas. It does mean, however, that the primary mission of the church is to make disciples. And so let's talk about the reality of mission. This is now going to pertain specifically to us as storehouse. The reality of the mission is that we can't do everything. We can't do everything. And so, man, for us, we need to, and we have, submit ourselves in prayer. We need to think through, man, what is it that God is specifically calling us to do when it comes to making disciples? What or how is that going to look like for us? 
Because if you think about it, there are many good churches in McAllen and in the valley, and uh, they, they, there are things that make us distinct from one another. That, man, there are some churches that are really big into programs, and that's wonderful. I think that's great, right? That might be their niche. That might be their lane, that they want to have programs for, for families and for kids and a bunch of other things wonderful. That's their niche. That's their lane. Man, we learn from them in many areas, and, uh, but that's not ours, right? Other churches have a completely different outlook on that. When it comes to us, when it comes to us, when we're talking about the lanes that we want to run in, what is it, man, when it comes to making disciples, what does that look like for Storehouse? For us, it mainly looks like the context of relationship, Everything that we're going to do uh, in light of discipleship is going to come through relationship. Building relationships, making relationships. And so if you don't know, here's, here's our mission statement, because we're cool. Our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus, by declaring and demonstrating the beauty of the gospel to the heart of McAllen. Man, so us as a whole, our aim is to glorify God. How do we glorify God? By making disciples. How do we make disciples? By declaring and demonstrating the gospel. Where? To the heart of our city. Kind of specific. And short and sweet as possible. That's our mission statement. Now, how does that get accomplished in the context of Storehouse Community Church? I'll just give you three quick things. If you don't know, here's the the shotgun approach. The first one is identity. Man, we want to talk a ton about identity because we believe that our identity determines our activity. That what we do is a result of who we are and what we do is a result of who God says we are, which leads us to the crux of identity. Before God tells us what to do, he tells us who we are. And so we're going to hammer this from the pulpit. We're going to hammer this from classes. We're going to hammer this in discipleship, formal relationships, and informal relationships. Identity is always going to be the first piece. The second one is we actually put a ton of our eggs in the basket of community groups. That we believe that not only have we been saved by God, but we have also been saved into the family of God. And so community is a big deal for us. And so we put a lot of our eggs in the basket of community groups because we believe in community groups in the sense that, man, smaller groups of people can go further distances in McAllen and in our valley than this uh, building can. That's just the, the, the truth, right? That we can affect more lives. We can make more disciples if we're actually scattered throughout the week. That's a good thing. So we put a lot of our eggs into that basket. The primary way that we're going to have discipleship relationships is going to be in the context of community. The primary way that we're actually going to be on mission as a church is through community groups. So we put a ton of our eggs in the basket of community groups. And if you think this is just a pitch for community groups, you're right. It is. You should join one because they're awesome. Okay. The third thing is mission. That we seek restoration and renewal in our city through discipleship. Through discipleship. This, all of our partnerships, all of our ministry, and all of our life flourishes out of discipleship relationships. Whether it's something like Sunday mornings, like when, you, when we talk about kids, for example. I think, I think the goal of kids is to help, uh, help parents, help disciple parents as they disciple their kids. 
So we want to be a part of that. When it comes to our missional partnerships, which Nathaniel leads, when it comes to that, what we want to do is help disciple people in things that they're already doing so that people, more people would come to know Jesus. It's the same thing when it comes to community groups. Everything is going to funnel through that. And again, for us, this is our lane. That's our niche. That's what we want to get really, really good at. You need programs. Probably, but we're not going to. Not now, at least. We want to plant churches. We want to plant churches because that is an expression of God calling people to himself and establishing them where they're at. Everything is going to funnel through discipleship, some sort of a discipleship context. And so that's what we do. That's what we do at Storehouse. We preach the word. Uh, we're constantly in community. We want to be in community. Um, man, and we want more and more people to know Jesus. We want more and more people to know Jesus. So let's wrap this all up. Why does any of this matter? Why does making disciples matter? Great. I know the mission of the church. I know what my responsibility is. So what? Three things, and we'll call it a day. The reason this matters is because death is real. That's number one. Death is real. Now, this is going to be kind of unpopular, and some of you may be a little uncomfortable, but we're going to go for it anyway. The truth is that it's not enough to talk about good things. Again, oftentimes, Christians, and this may be you, that when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to telling people about Jesus, you really hone in on, man, it's because he does good and because you will be good. It's not enough to talk about the good things. It is, in fact, much more important to recognize the eternal things. That a life separated from God is a life of eternal punishment. The truth is that we are not born right with God and we need to be born again in order to be right with God. And it is the grace of God that rescues sinners from the wrath of God. Either Christ paid for your sins on the cross or you will pay for your sins in hell. That is the message. That Christ came to die for sinners. He died on their behalf. He satisfied the wrath of God on their behalf. It is the grace and mercy of God that saves us from the wrath of God. We just looked at a ton of nonprofits or three nonprofits. They're all doing really good. You doing really good doesn't make you a Christian. You being saved by the mercy of God from the wrath of God is what makes you a Christian. Salvation, salvation brings reconciliation that is access to God, it brings hope. Not wishful thinking, but something that is actual and factual and eternal, and it brings purpose. That's one of the questions everybody always hits in some time of their life. What is my purpose in life? Well, you've just been given a mission to go and make disciples and to glorify God by doing it. There, we answered all your questions, life questions, in less than 10 seconds. You're welcome. Okay? We have been commissioned to declare with words... We have been commissioned to declare with 
words and demonstrate with grace and mercy. That is what we have been commissioned to do. That is how you make disciples. And so death is real. And sometimes we don't want to talk about it because that's just not a fun doctrine that doesn't make it unimportant. That hell is real. And we become so much more worried about ourselves. One, it's Jesus who saves. Two, he's called you to go make disciples, to proclaim his excellencies. You have the greatest news. Nathaniel preached on this last week. You have the greatest news and the power of the Holy Spirit in you to proclaim the person and work of Jesus to those who don't know him. To preach the mercy and grace of God. That God entered into human history as the man, Jesus Christ. And that they can have hope. And that they can have purpose. That things will be different in terms of perspective. That things may not change in this lifetime, but they will in the next. Death is real. Number two, worship. The more people come to know Jesus, the more people worship Jesus. You see, at the beginning was God and man. In the garden, at the beginning was God and man in spite of a sinless earth. But then if we look to the end of the story, in the end, it will be God and man in spite of restoration. Worship is the goal. Worship is the goal, the end goal. I want to back up a little bit and then I'll come back to worship. I'm getting a little ahead of myself talking again a little bit about uh, hell. I need you to know that Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about it. The things he talked about the most were money and hell. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about judgment. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty three. He says, "In you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you." He wasn't afraid to talk about condemnation. In John three eighteen, he says, "Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already." because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And he wasn't afraid of being graphic with what's going to happen. Matthew 13, verses 49 to 50. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about the hard things. He wasn't afraid to talk about the hard things. And as he even talked about the hard things, he is talking about it so that there would be repentance. Even now when the hard things are being preached at you, the message or the central part of the message is repentance. To turn from your sin and trust in God. To turn from your sin, confess your sin, and to trust in the person and work of Jesus. That is ultimately the message that God is constantly pursuing you day and night, preaching repentance. And sometimes that means talking about the hard things. Sometimes that means talking about uncomfortable things. It's not just so that you would be good or do good. It's so that you would trust in Jesus. So that your heart 
would be transformed so that your mind would be renewed and so that you would be reconciled to God. Because, point two, the end goal is, is worship. In the beginning was God and man, and the goal was worship. At the end, it's going to be God and man, and the goal is worship, even in spite of restoration. Listen to Revelation 5. Because everybody gets nervous when we quote Revelation, but we're going to do a lot of that right now. Revelation 5, 9 through 10, and 12 and 13 it's what uh, John writes. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so you see this great multitude of people and you see these palm branches being waved. You wonder, why palm branches? Are we in the valley? No, because green represents victory. That he has been victorious. That he has been victorious. And so they are worshiping him day and night. The third reason as to why this matters. One, death is real. Two, worship. Three, because of God's glory. That's why it matters. We make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. For his name to be made great, not our own, not your ministry, not your organization, not how cool you think you are, because we're really not that cool if we think about it. It is for his glory, not your own. Listen to Psalm 115.1. The psalmist says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. That God is the one who has kept an everlasting love. He is the one that has been faithful. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that you do ought to be for the glory of God so that his name would be made great, so that he would be exalted, and so that more and more people would come to know him. 1 Corinthians 10 puts us in a place where we're all on the same boat because everything that we do ought to bring glory to God and it ought to reflect the character of God. Everything. Stop compartmentalizing your life. You will sink if you compartmentalize your life. I am a Christian on Sundays. I'm a Christian at community group. I'm kind of a Christian at work because of the people I kind of work with. Uh, I'm, uh, you know what? This is my time. Uh, and I have this other life. Stop compartmentalizing your life and begin with repentance. Begin with repentance. Because if anyone ought to be pitied, it's not necessarily those who don't know Jesus in that circumstance, it's you. Because you do know the truth. So repent. Don't waste time. 
Don't think about it. Because you know, I mean, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be convicting us right now, convicting you right now. And so repent. For his name to be made great, not ours. Listen to Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. All things are for the glory of God. We make disciples of Jesus so that we would glorify him and we make disciples of Jesus by declaring with words, by declaring and demonstrating the beauty of the gospel in our city. If you know Jesus and you're constantly compartmentalizing because this is old news to you, repent. Repent. Because you know the truth. And you know Jesus. And for some reason you're embarrassed by that. But you'll talk about other things. People talk about what they love. And the reason we don't talk about Jesus or make disciples is because we really don't love him as much as we say we do. That's the bottom line. That when we talk about, man, that I've been forgiven and I'm not going to hell, you talk about it like it's just fire insurance. Like I'm good. And so the pastor will do the rest of the work or the ministry team leaders will do the rest of the work. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So repent. Because at the end of the day, your compartmentalization is really your pride. That's your self-righteousness. Repent of it. Turn away from that. Trust in Jesus. And let's go forward. Let's, let's get to work. If you don't know Jesus, you, you can come to know Jesus. You can come to know Jesus right now that you would be given this promise of not only reconciliation, but hope and purpose. What what do I need to do? Repent. Turn away from your sin. I'm not going to promise you, because I can't promise you that everything is going to, like, be okay. And that, man, putting your trust in Jesus is going to get you a new car. It probably won't. I don't know. I I don't know. Or that, man, you're going to be blessed, man. Trust in Jesus so that your heart would be transformed, your mind would be renewed, and that you would live with hope and purpose all to the glory of God. Make no mistake about it, church. I want us to be a blessing in our city. I really do. I want us to be a blessing in our city. But I do not want us to be a blessing to our city just because we're doing good. I want us to be a blessing to our city because we are making disciples. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time where we got together and, man, uh, have our hearts prepped through song. And Lord willing, have our hearts convicted by your Spirit through the preached Word. God, the, the mission of making disciples is so simple, but it's not always easy. 
and the majority of the time, if not all of the time, it's complicated because we make it complicated. We make it complicated because of our disobedience. So God, would you forgive us of our disobedience? And Holy Spirit, would you work in us so that we would be more like Jesus? So that we would make disciples with urgency, with mercy and grace, excuse me, in mercy and in grace. Would we make disciples with urgency? God, we know the truth. One day you are coming uh, to reclaim your bride, the church. And until that day, you've called us to a mission. You've sent us to accomplish a mission, and that is to make disciples for the glory of your name so that more would worship you because of the reality of what we have been saved from. God, may we take this mission seriously. May we submit ourselves to your word. And Holy Spirit, would you continue to transform us? Please don't stop. Please don't stop. Continue to transform us so that we would be made more like Jesus. God, and as we come into this time of of tithes and offerings, God, I pray that through these finances, number one, we would be faithful stewards. That the, the, the role that these finances play is for the expansion of, uh, or the spreading of your gospel. For the expansion of your kingdom here in McAllen. So that our city would be restored and renewed not just because it's good to be restored and renewed, but so that more and more people would come to know you. So that more and more people would worship Jesus. So that lives would be transformed. And speaking of transformation, may that start with us right now. May we give sacrificially and generously. May we give because our fists are actually not clenched and we are good stewards or faithful stewards. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. Thank you for this new year. God, I pray that it would be great that more people would come to know you and uh, yeah, that your glory would be made known in our city. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.